0: following audio is for Emanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emanuel is available at our website www.myemanuel.net God receives us just as we are. That's the the only way we can really come to Christ. You can't come to Christ saying, hey, aren't you happy that I'm on your team? Uh, boy, you're, boy, Jesus, you were lucky to get me. Um, you come to Christ and Complete humility. We come to Christ with complete repentance and we come to the cross of Christ and we ask Him to do this work in our lives. And these baptisms that we've seen this morning are symbolic of that. They're symbolic of the fact that we confess Christ and we give our lives to Him. But, you know, um, that's not the end of our Christian journey. If it were, what would happen is we give our lives to Christ. We uh, we confess him, and then we would just we would just ascend back to the to the throne of the Father, like Jesus did, right? And uh, that'd be something. People would get saved, and then they would ascend to heaven. But we get saved, and we have to go to work on Monday. We get saved, and you have to go to school on Monday. You you get saved, and you go out in uh in a parking lot, and your car doesn't start. Yeah, there's something that's still coming, and we discover in Scripture something about walking with Christ. And, uh, and the, the concept is you're born again. The Bible uses that verbiage and that, that illustration that you start as a, a babe in Christ, you're born again. But then you start walking in Christ to a place of spiritual maturity. And, th- and that's what we're going to talk about this morning is spiritual maturity and what it looks like. So if you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to join me In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we're studying the book together, we're taking it concept by concept, and uh, last week we looked at how we know for certain when God is working in our lives and how we know it's God and it's not Satan, and one of the things the Apostle Paul said to the church at Thessalonica last week in chapter 2 was he said, I wanted to come to you but Satan hindered me again and again. And so we talked about, well, how do you know when Satan is stopping you or God is stopping you or or the Holy Spirit is prompting you? And we talked about knowing the the revealed Word of God, the objective Word of God, which is your Bible. And the more your Bible is infused into your life, the more you can understand uh, and hear the voice of God as he speaks to you personally. The psalmist said, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against God. He also said, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light on my path. And so the, the word of God is the basis for this. Well, we discover in the end of chapter two as the apostle Paul is talking to them about knowing the word of God and walking in that faith. But he says to them, man, I wanted to come to you. I wanted to come to you again and again. And he says, because you're my hope, you're my joy, you're my crown. And he, he's gonna move that verbiage right into chapter three and you're going to get a you're going to get a window uh, of insight into the soul of Paul. Uh, sometimes I think we we read uh, the New Testament, particularly the writings of Paul, and he's uh, he's truly a genius, and he's inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And so we just kind of take Paul and we elevate him up here. And you got Jesus, and you got Paul, and no one could be like them. But here we're going to see something about the affections of Paul's heart and his desire for these people that he saw come to Christ and baptized, just like we saw people baptized this morning, he's he's remembering that at Thessalonica. And so here's what he says to them. I'm beginning in verse one of First Thessalonians chapter three. He says, when we could bear it no longer, and we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one would be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. He's talking about affliction, suffering, that we're destined for this. And, and when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. And now he says, it's come to pass, and you know all these things experientially, not just from our teaching but verse 5, he resumes his thought. We're we're seeing his affection and desire for these new young believers at Thessalonica. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. I was afraid that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and you'd lost your faith. You doubted your faith, and our labor would be in vain. Verse 6, he jumps ahead now. So he's He's talking about the day he was concerned for them. He was thinking about them. He's praying for them. He he longs for them. So he sends Timothy to them. Now in verse 6, Timothy's already come back, all right? So he says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and he's brought us the good news of your faith and love, and it's reported that you always remember us kindly, and you long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all of our distress and affliction... This is the second time in this passage now. He's talked about suffering or affliction or distress. He says, in all of that, we've been comforted about you through your faith. For we now live. We can live. We would say, the way we would say this in our English vernacular is, now I can breathe. That Read it that way. So, verse 8, for now we can breathe because we know you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God, as we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face, still longs to see them. He sent Timothy, but he wants to go himself and supply what is lacking in your faith. so let's let's talk about this. We've got this little autobiographical window in the, in the Apostle Paul and his relationship with the church at Thessalonica. Let's, let's look at some characteristics of spiritual maturity. So God saves us. He saves us just as we are. We're born again. We're babes in Christ. But he never intends for us to stay babies in Christ. He always intends for us to grow up and to walk with him and to grow into spiritual maturity. And here, by looking at Paul's relationship with the Thessalonians, we, we see something about what spiritual maturity looks like. His his first concern, one of the, he says, the reason I sent Timothy is I wanted to make sure that you hadn't you hadn't turned around and walked away from faith, that you hadn't you hadn't uh, had a sense that you'd that you didn't know who God was, or you'd you'd become to doubt that. And so, so the first characteristic of spiritual maturity is that we arrive at a place. Where our faith is established. He used that word right there in chapter 3. Our faith is established and we no longer doubt. Let's talk about doubting just a little bit. It's a common experience for new Christians to doubt their salvation. Uh, it goes something like this, usually in a textbook manner. It goes like this: you have the moment when you give your life to Christ, and it's a euphoric high. Man, you can't you can't believe your sins are forgiven. You've you, Jesus Christ has come into your life. Heaven's going to be your eternal home. Maybe it's followed uh, like this morning, like by baptism, and people applaud you. You baptize and pat you on the back and high five you, and and then all of a sudden you're back into regular life, and here comes Satan. And the first thing he wants to do is try to convince you that you're not really saved. So he comes to tempt you with an old temptation that maybe you hadn't even thought about for a while, or at least for a week or a month, and he comes to tempt you with it, and you're and you're and then you're caught and you're you're like, Well, man, I, I thought I my I thought I gave my life to Christ. I, I I didn't ever think there'd be a temptation again. Now those of us who've been saved for a while, what do we know? We know that when you give your life to Christ, Satan comes sometimes all the more to tempt you. Sometimes when you give your life to Christ, it actually gets a little harder. And the Apostle Paul talks about this in this passage. He says Christians are actually destined for suffering. Now, everybody suffers in the world a little bit, but Christians have a, have a, a harder time because now we're in spiritual battle, spiritual conflict. And then so sure enough, the young Christian is like, well, you know, they give in, maybe they sin. And they're like, well, I, maybe I'm not saved. If I was saved, I, I wouldn't have done that. And they start to doubt their own salvation. Sometimes uh, people do that in a cycle where they come to church, they pray, Lord, come into my life, forgive me of my sins. And then they commit that same sin, so they think they lose their salvation, so they pray it again. And so just the cycle is pray and ask the Lord to save me, sin. Pray and ask the Lord to save me in sin. and sin. You're, and you're always fearful that you've lost your salvation. That's a mark of spiritual immaturity. The the Bible says that the true believer is saved for eternity. Jesus Christ saves us. We studied Hebrews last year. Once for all. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Jesus says, I hold you in my hand, and the Father holds me in his hand, and nothing can pluck you out of our hands, and so he reinforces this. But the young believer doesn't know that, and so they're always, always caught in doubt and fear. And Satan loves that because when you're fearful about your own salvation and you don't know if you're even saved, then you're not very good at sharing your faith, are you? You're, you're, you're caught in that fear. You know what fear always does? Uh, here's a good way to know if you're fearful about something: it paralyzes us. Fear. Always paralyzes us. Ever do you ever see any of the old movies before they had uh, before they had special effects and stuff and uh, someone is gonna like run somebody over with a car and so they peel out and they add a sound. and then here comes the car and the car's like a mile away and the person's crossing the street and then they see the car and they go <laughs> And then the car's still coming and the car's still coming and you're like run jump get out of the way and they're just like and what, what are they trying to portray in that movie? That they can't move because they are paralyzed with fear. As silly as it is, it happens, happens to new believers all the time. They, they can't grow in the Lord because they're stuck in, am I saved? Am I not saved? So what do you do? You receive the word of God. That He's the one who does the saving, and it's not dependent on you, even when you blow it. And you move out of that and you become certain that God has saved you. You know that you know that you know that God has done the work. He saved you. You're saved by his grace, not by what you do or don't do. And that gets settled. That's a characteristic of spiritual maturity. There's a second characteristic of spiritual maturity here in this same passage. And in this passage, we see it. Uh, mostly in life reflected by the Apostle Paul, but it's mirrored by the Thessalonians. He loves these guys. He thinks about these guys all the time. He said in the end of chapter 2, you're my hope, you're my joy, you're my crown. I couldn't bear it any longer. I wanted to come to you, but I couldn't get there. I couldn't bear it any longer. So I sent Timothy to you because I I needed some report from you. And, And then when I heard back from Timothy that not only do I love you and not only do I think about you, but you love us and you're praying for us. And so here is a second characteristic of spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is evidenced in our lives when we are no longer self-oriented. When it's no longer about me and my and mine. But instead, we serve and encourage others. Looking for how we can strengthen their faith, especially in times of affliction. So... Uh, the fearfulness of whether or not I'm really saved or is, did God save me, that's an internal thing. You could come here this morning, you could wave at everybody, smile, shake hands, uh, sing the songs, listen to the sermon, and go home and then go, I don't know if I'm saved or not, I don't know if I'm saved or not. And nobody might would know that because that's an internal thing. But this, serving and loving others, this is really external. This is easy. To see, you may not realize this, but selfishness and 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 an opposition to that serving others, those are those are really easy to see in your life. Sometimes the selfish person doesn't even see others to serve them because they're so focused on themselves. Let let's be honest: we live in a day and age where the whole culture around us is geared for our selfishness every commercial on tv tells you what you should have every every commercial on tv tells you how you can have more of this and more of that and more of this and more more comfort and more convenience and more days off and more money and a nicer car and the whole world is geared for you and we've now become a people who want what we want and we want it now And because you have a credit card, you can get it now. And your kids can pay off your credit card when you die. And that's kind of the way we live now. We just live with a self-oriented world. And that's not spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is reflected in Christ Jesus, who the scripture says in John 13, on the night that he was betrayed and he was in the upper room with the apostles. They were all there for, the, for what would be the, 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 the changing of the Passover to the Lord's Supper. And when he was there, the scripture says he took off his outer cloak and he rolled up his sleeves and he took a basin of water and he began to go around the room and wash the disciples' feet. When he was done with that, he set the basin aside and he put his clothes back on and he said, he said, do you know what I just did? And of course, it was an object lesson for them. And he said, You call me rabbi. You call me master. Later, he would tell us you can call him king of kings and lord of lords. He said, You call me master, and you're right because that's who I am. And if your master was willing to wash your feet and to serve you, how should you treat one another? It is the characteristic mark of spiritual maturity. When I, no longer, when I stop thinking about me and I start thinking about you and how I can serve you and how I can reach you and how I can minister to you, and this is, a, this is the characteristic of spiritual maturity. And it's really easy to see. Well, in the middle of this, both in the first paragraph and the second paragraph, he talks about suffering. He talks about affliction. So, there's a third characteristic of spiritual maturity that I want you to see this morning. S- those who are spiritually mature understand that suffering and affliction have a divine role in our sanctification. There, there, is a, there is a purpose for which we suffer. We don't just suffer to suffer, we don't suffer because God's not big enough. To, uh, to remove our suffering, there is a purpose in it. Uh, hold your place there in 1 Thessalonians 3. We'll come right back to it. Find with me 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Will you do that? I want you to see this passage because uh, in this passage, the Apostle Paul is still the writer. He's just writing to a different church. He writes much more uh, explicitly about suffering and how it works in our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 Begin with me in verse 3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now, comfort is a big part of this passage because it's part of the purpose of suffering. He says in verse 4, He's the God of all comfort who comforts us in most of our afflictions. Is that what your Bible says? It it doesn't say most of our afflictions, does it? But that's the way we treat God. Whenever we have a problem, an adversity, a challenge, or affliction, we kind of treat God like, well, you must have been busy that day because you sure weren't watching out for me. But the scripture says he's there and he's present at work in our lives. It actually says in all of our afflictions. Now, why is he present in all of our afflictions? Well, we know if we keep reading. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God, uh, stop right there for a second. let me see if I can just share this with you out of my own personal experience. Um, I, I had a pretty idyllic uh, upbringing um, My parents loved Jesus uh, and they loved each other and they loved us kids and uh, it, it was it was a it was a wonderful home to grow up in. And, and because of that, as many parents do, they shielded us as children from lots of affliction. And I kind of grew up without any major traumatic suffering things. Now, maybe that wasn't your experience, but it was mine. And so as the Lord called me to ministry, and as I got to the place where I needed to start serving others, and I discovered that people were going through difficulty and affliction and suffering, guess what? I didn't have anything for them. Because I had never experienced affliction, I had also never experienced the comfort of God. And so what did God do? Because he loves me. He brought affliction into my life. He brought some difficulties into my life, some adversity. He brought some challenges. He brought some things that crushed my spirit. And so what did I have to do? I had to run to Jesus. And when I I did, he was faithful to me. He loved me and nurtured me and he comforted me. And then I discovered that when folks in the congregation came to me with trouble, now I knew that there was a God of all comfort because I had experienced that. And so this is how God works. He brings affliction to my life so that I can comfort you. Here's how he goes on and he just uh, defines it. Verse 5, so we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings so that through Christ we can share abundantly in comfort too. If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. What is the result of that? For those who are spiritually mature, our hope for you is unshaken. The spiritually immature person has challenges in life, adversity, and they think, oh, God, God's forgotten me. God's not there. The spiritually mature person recognizes, oh, God's doing something really big. He's doing something big in my life. Why? So that I can minister to you, so that I can love you, so that I can, I can comfort you because my life isn't about me. My life is about serving others. So go back to 1 Thessalonians 3 now. Back in First Thessalonians 3, now this passage really makes sense to us when he says in, in verse 3, he says, don't be moved uh, or, or doubt because of the afflictions. You yourself know that we're destined for this. This is, this is what God uses in our sanctification process. And we told you this ahead of time. That when you suffer afflictions, now it's come to pass, and now you know. And so this is a part of that growth. Verse 7. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we've been comforted about you through your faith. And so he talks about that as well. Back up in verse 6, let me give you the fourth characteristic of spiritual maturity. Timothy has come from, us, uh, come from you. He's brought to us good news about your... I want you to notice the twins there. Faith and love that's in your life. So characteristic number one, uh, you get to the place where you're not doubting your salvation all the time. That's a mark of spiritual maturity. Characteristic number two, you get to the place where you're thinking about others instead of thinking about yourself. That's a mark of spiritual maturity. Characteristic number three, when suffering and adversity and affliction come, you don't doubt and you don't scream at God and get bitter. You recognize, oh, God's going to use this for something really great characteristic number four faith and love come together in your life now for those that are immature they either usually have faith or love and they don't work very well as singular concepts they were made to work in a synergistic fashion they were made to dovetail together faith uh, without love is uh, religiosity, it's uh, self-righteousness, it's legalism, because it's faith in in God, but you don't love anybody. And the scripture says that's not what God intended. Some people gravitate the other way. So they have kind of a love. It's It's a milquetoast sentimentality kind of love. Hey, let's love everybody, but they don't stand on any doctrine at all. So their love is just like, hey, you know, uh, we are the world. You know, d- polar bears, drink some Coke. We'll all live happily ever after. It's just love, man. It's cool. Peace. Well, that, that's not spiritual maturity. Self-righteousness isn't spiritual maturity. Why? Because the Bible says <clears throat> they come together and they work Perfectly together, balancing your life. Galatians 5 6 says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You gotta have doctrine, you gotta have truth, it's the truth that'll set you free, but you don't go around hitting people in the nose with truth. That's just brutality. By the same token, you you gotta have love, but why are why are we sharing love? So the people can have their sins forgiven and have eternity in heaven. We don't pretend that they, they don't need Jesus. They desperately do need Jesus. So faith and love always come together. And spiritual maturity puts that together. It looks right. It's balanced in their lives. So those are the characteristics of spiritual maturity. But there's part of chapter 3 that we haven't read yet. And these are the results of spiritual maturity. They're, uh, spiritually, spiritually mature people have some blessings from God that the spiritually immature, they, haven't, they don't quite get yet. You've got you to grow up. To get these things. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in verse 11. The first result of spiritual maturity he says now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way. So the spiritually mature who are not Doubting their salvation. They're not rocked by affliction or adversity. They're not full of selfishness. They're serving others in faith and love. What they get, the result of that, when they start to live that way, is God just directs their paths. He's just, he just takes care of them. He's just in charge of them. They're doing all the things that God wants them to do. And so he just makes sure that his hand of blessing is on them. And sometimes this is what you recognize in another person. You just look at them and you just go like, man, it's just like they walk with Jesus all the time. I mean, they just kind of glide through life. Now, they still got afflictions and adversities, but it just looks like it doesn't set them back because God directs their path. This is a a result of spiritual maturity. It's one of the reasons we want to grow, because we want to walk with Jesus. We want to walk like Jesus. We want to have this this attitude, Philippians 2, this mind in you, which was in Christ Jesus, and then God directs our paths. Look at the next verse, verse 12. There's a a second result to spiritual maturity. He says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and And for all. So the next thing you get, first of all, God directs your path, but the next thing you get is you just get a life full of love. And he uses two words here that are really, really interesting. He says that love may increase and abound. Now, uh, verse 11, God directing your path, that's about your relationship with God. Jesus walks with you, He directs your path. He takes care of where you're going to go. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. Just just walk today in spiritual maturity. Find people to serve and love them, and God will take care of tomorrow. But verse 12 isn't about your relationship with God. It's about your relationship with other people. And he says in this this, uh, sentence that your love may increase. Okay, so I want to show you what that looks like. Increase is this way and this way, and that your love may abound. Abound is this way. That your love may increase, that's the number of people in your life that will love you. That your love may abound, that's the quality of the richness of the love that they have for you. Some people say, Would you rather have a lot of friends or one really, really good friend? Why not both? Why not have a lot of really, really good friends? The reason that some of you don't have that is you don't have the results of spiritual maturity. The reason that your relationships are dysfunctional is because you're dysfunctional. Uh, There was a story told about back at the turn of the last century, like the 1900s, when it was very, very popular for men to wear handlebar mustaches that they waxed and curled on the ends. And uh, uh, one day, uh, Grandpa was sleeping. He was napping on the couch, and the boys got this really, really stinky uh, roquefort cheese, and they put it right there in the wax of his of his mustache, you know. And he was sleeping on the couch, and he started to go. And he woke up, and he goes, "This couch stinks." And then when he kind of stood up and he walked into the room, he goes, "This room stinks." so he went into the next room and when he went into the next room he went and he goes this house stinks and so he went outside thinking he'd get a big breath of fresh air he's got this stinky cheese on his mustache right he goes outside to get fresh air and he goes and then he goes he goes the whole world stinks well he stunk if, if you don't have any good relationships at all maybe you're the stinky one maybe you're the trouble So what do you need? You need love that increases and abounds. That's what God brings to those who are spiritually mature and investing in others. There's one last result. It's in the next verse. Verse 13. So that God may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God the Father and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to come back with all of his saints what is the last thing we see here about a result of spiritual maturity? Our hearts are established in holiness. Now, let's be honest. Uh, most of us, when we try to picture spiritual maturity, we think, well, a spiritually mature person is a person who sins less than the rest of us. We kind of, that's kind of our idea. Well, if they're spiritually mature, they sin less. And so what we all do, since we want to be spiritually mature, we try to sin less. But the problem for most of us as Christians is we've got one or two sins that are just beating us up. And so we focus on them and we grit our teeth and we clench our hands and we try not to try not to give it into that sin and then we give into it. And then we give into it again. And then we try not to give into it and then we get into it again. So then we start to doubt God. In reality, the way this works is God's the one who takes care of your sins. When you came to the cross of Christ, did you have to overcome all your sins before he would save you? No. You came just as I am. He does the saving. He does the cleansing. He does the forgiving. So in spiritual maturity, what happens? Well, let's just kind of take these characteristics in order. I believe the word of God that says he will never leave me, he will never forsake me, so I stop doubting that I've given my life to Christ, and I've stopped doubting my salvation. If you've given your life, you've asked in sincerity of your own heart for God to come into your heart, you're saved. Settle that. The next thing is, quit thinking about yourself all the time. Even your sins that you're fighting. Take your eyes and look up around you and see that there are other people who have needs. And there are people that you can minister to and people that you can bless. And whether they're going through adversity or you're going through adversity, recognize that the adversity is for a reason. So that God can attend to you and bring you comfort and peace and joy. And you can recognize that. And then you start to live in faith and love. Well, what does God do? The result of that, because we're talking about the result is he directs your paths, he makes you abound in love, and he's the one who moves you to holiness. If, if you'll start serving other people, one of the things you'll discover one day is you'll think like, hey, I haven't sinned that one sin in like, I haven't even thought about it in like three or four weeks. How did that happen? Because you quit sitting in the room thinking about the sin." Here's here's the way Satan works. Even when he comes to tempt you with the sin and you grapple with him and you spend all your time I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to sin, even though you don't sin, he ha- he had you spend all your time thinking about the sin. Why not just start thinking about serving others? And lo and behold, along the way, you'll be like, "Hey, I think I beat that sin." The Holy Spirit does that work in you for you god's the one who sanctifies you in that process so what we see here this window into paul's soul we see something of the characteristics of spiritual maturity and something of the results of that here's what i want you to know that's what god wants for you god doesn't save you and then go okay good luck see you when you get to heaven that's not who god is God has a plan for your life that means that you're going to start to live like Christ. You're going to start to grow up in him. And and it's going to start to reflect love and faith and serving others and overcoming selfishness. And when you do, he rushes in with his blessing that's what he wants for you. I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. There's so much more to say about spiritual maturity, but we're out of time this morning. But I wonder this morning, where are you? If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, you can't start growing in spiritual maturity because you haven't made the first step yet. The first step is giving your life to Christ, asking him for the forgiveness of sins, asking him to come into your heart, choosing him as your master in your lord that's step number 1 maybe for you you need to make the next step of uh, of obedience and baptism you've seen that happen this morning you're thinking i need to declare to this this spiritual family called emmanuel that i confess christ maybe that's the step for you maybe there's a step for you in here where you've just been one of those people where i i don't know if i'm saved i think i'm saved i don't know if i'm saved and you've been in that cycle and today you need to say god I belong to you, and I know you will never leave me, never forsake me. I'm going to trust in you and settle that once and for all. God desires that you know the assurance of your salvation. Maybe for you, it's time that you quit living like the world and living for yourself and lift up your eyes and look around you for those, particularly those in adversity and suffering, and find people to serve. Don't you know that God wants you to look like Christ? It's not just grind it out until heaven, but it's what God wants to do in your life. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. No one's going to embarrass you. No one's going to come uh, to you. But I wonder this morning if you would just signify by the lifted hand, "I, I want to grow towards spiritual maturity. And you'd raise your hand and say, that's my desire. That's what I want. I want to grow to spiritual maturity. Will you just raise your hand? All over the room. God bless you. God bless you. Father, you've seen our hands, but more importantly, you know our hearts. You know everything about us. And, and, and we know that you save us as we come just as we are. We, we, we don't make ourselves better, but we also know that you don't leave us just as we are. You want to do this sanctifying work in our lives to grow us up so that we can start to look and act and think like Christ. So, Father, we pray that each one of us would make a step towards spiritual maturity. Father, I pray for marriages in this room this morning, that husband and wife would choose to step towards spiritual maturity. I, I pray for families and for kids and parents. They would move towards spiritual maturity. I pray for us as a church family, that if we have any reputation in this community, that people would say, man, they love others and they serve others so that we could have these, these characteristics of spiritual maturity. And Father, if you'll do this in our life, and if someone comes to praise us, we won't receive that praise. We will deflect it all to Jesus. We'll say all of this in my life, anything you see in my life, any love, any faith, any holiness is all because of Jesus. And it's in that most wonderful and precious name that we pray and all of God's people said, amen. Well here's what I want to do we, I want to read this, this last paragraph From chapter 3 But this time without comment Just fluently And I want you to hear, hear it as the benediction That it really is Now may our God and Father himself And our Lord Jesus Christ Direct our way to you And may the Lord make you increase And abound in love for one another And for all As we do for you so that he may establish your heart blameless in holiness before God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. Chapter 4 and 5, we're going to talk about the coming of the Lord Jesus with all of his saints. Have a great day. God bless you. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.